Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon over here, and the sun doesn't really come out quite often in the Netherlands, and I am making a big sacrifice today. I am here with you. I love it, but at the same time, I'm really curious about what's going on outside. The weather is really awesome, and um, yeah, I hope I, I will get the chance to enjoy the sun a little bit before the end of this Saturday. I hope you are all having an amazing weekend. Today we have a super awesome topic to talk about. Um, it's something that is, um, let's say, uh, I'm really interested in. I've had a lot of different experiences working in numerous places, and I would love to share all of this knowledge with you. As usual, feel free to drop in your questions. I would love to engage with you. I want to share with you the knowledge. That's the whole intention. That's the whole purpose. So drop in your questions. Let's have a conversation. Share your thoughts. Share your insights. Ask me whatever you'd like, and I will do my best to answer everything that you might have uh, on your minds today. We're going to wait a little bit until more people are able to join us. Uh, thank you very much for doing so on a Saturday. This is the first time I stream on a weekend. Maybe I did it on a Sunday before. Yeah, I think maybe this is the second time I stream on a weekend. Anyway, exploring different days throughout the week to see which one is uh, is ideal for, for, for you. And if you have any thoughts on which day is more suitable, which days uh, and times you prefer, please do let me know and I will try my best to accommodate uh for the widest you know number of people to be able to join us i am going to start the conversation about the topic and i'm going to introduce it as follows today we're going to talk about the differences between working in startups scale-ups and enterprises and in order for us to have a good conversation about this we need to first define what we mean by a startup what do we mean by scale-up and what do we mean by enterprise and in order to do so we need to talk about how uh, or where did these names come from. Um, basically, we need, an, we need a way to categorize different types of companies, right? There are industry verticals, of course, where companies can operate in a certain industry. Um, it could be, for example, food uh, and, and beverages, F&B. It could be uh, pharmaceuticals. It could be you know, vehicle manufacturing. It could be uh, industrial manufacturing. It could be technology and science, so on and so forth. So there are many multiple industry verticals that companies can fall into. But in addition to the industry categorization, we can categorize companies based on their size. And the way we would measure companies um, or the way we would categorize the companies based on size is not necessarily just how much money they make. That's also one way to categorize them, but the number of people that they have. And this is probably the, the, the metric that with which we can distinguish uh, you know, different companies because the modes of operation and how these companies operate changes drastically based on the number of people that they have. Of course, the industry has an impact, what they do has an impact, whether they are in manufacturing or services has an impact, the type of you know, product that they offer, whatever that product is, has an impact. All of these different variables come into play. For our purposes today, we are going to define startups as companies that are in the early stages of their you know of their lifetime let's say the number of people working in these companies is probably no higher than 100 um, and then and what's more important than the number currently is how many people are they adding per month per quarter per year so on and so forth in terms of employees um, a startup doesn't necessarily is not necessarily adding a lot of people because 
they are uh, still in the early stages. Product market fit has not been you know, figured out yet. They have probably seed investment. They're not a lot of money on the table. They're not really hiring like crazy uh, at the moment because they're not at that stage yet. Now, let's jump to the second category, which is a scale-up. A scale-up is still a startup, but the scale-up is in a phase where they are hiring massively. Like the, the initial hypothesis about what they are going to be offering and whether the market wants it or not has been established. They, uh, they have demonstrated that this is actually the case. And now they are at a stage where there has been multiple investments or money injected into them this money could be used to hire and attract more people because more people will help build whatever this company is selling whether be it a product or a service or you know whatever it is and the scale up is in a stage where they are where it is you know ramping up talent at a very very crazy pace it could be like hiring um i don't know 5, 10, 15, 20 people maybe a month. It could be like hiring in the hundreds every quarter. Uh, so this is the, you know, the speed or the velocity of acquiring new people that we're talking about. An enterprise, on the other hand, is the most mature form of these companies. An enterprise is basically where uh, a company has reached a certain level of stability. It might be profitable or not. It really depends. But we're talking about a scale in the thousands or hundreds of thousands of people and uh things have matured the business is stable maybe the the enterprise is still acquiring new companies adding more you know revenue streams diversifying growing so on and so forth but it is not growing as massively and as fast as the scale up uh and and again the, the differences is in the um velocity of growth or in the acceleration of growth uh, and this is going to be the main differentiator now, now that we have defined each one of them, we're going to talk about how is it uh, like to work in, in each of these environments and um, what are the engineering practices in each of these environments and how is it like? What are the good things? What are the bad things? And I want to also uh, talk about this in the context of why, right? It's very important for you to understand why do these companies operate in this in this way why do these companies that fall in these categories behave and what are the focuses of these uh, of these companies so let's start with the startups right startups are the most nimble of the three categories we just described uh, they are uh, very very small they could be composed of a founder plus maybe uh, or a couple of founders maybe and a couple of engineers at most um, maybe even a small engineering team they have to work at a very, very fast pace. They have to deliver and push out new stuff every single day. They cannot afford to waste time. They have very limited amounts of money and very short runway. So basically, they have to deliver or they die. They don't have the luxury of you know, spending cycles and sprints and months building a product. The companies that do so, um, are the probability of them coming out on top or being successful eventually is, is diminishes as time goes by and if they're not really releasing stuff. So startups have to have a, a, a hypothesis about what they want to build and they need to push content out as soon and as fast as possible. Otherwise, they will be die. They will die. So keep this in mind because the good thing about working in startup is, what, first of all, everyone knows everyone, right? That's a very tiny theme. You know people by name, uh, you work with them on a day-to-day -day basis, 
uh, your focus is on building something awesome. You have a lot of ambitions for the future. You have a lot of, you know, hope in this company becoming something bigger than what it is on uh, every day. And you are very much focused on how can you get to this next level and how can you survive to the next phase? This is the focus of every day, uh, of every day in the startups. Uh, they are sort of flat structure in the sense that, or, or very shallow hierarchy. The, the structure is not really, you know, because there are not, there's not a lot of people. So um, there might not be a lot of hierarchies. People are working on the same level uh, in, in most cases. There are very little processes, very little procedures. Not everything is figured out. Um, there's by what my, some people might think as chaos. It's not necessarily chaos. It could be just that there's no point in the overhead of processes and procedures, right? Like, and when I talk about processes and procedures, I'm talking about how many days off do you take per year? You know, it's not really written. It's not defined in a guidebook. It's not presented anywhere. It's probably the, the founder and the team have to determine what is an appropriate amount and you have to align on these. So a lot of things are yet to be figured out in a startup environment. And that's where a lot of, let's say, newcomers to the industry and junior developers come in and they are shocked a little bit by the fact that nothing is available, you know, and they start complaining, thinking, having these thoughts that startups should have their stuff figured out. They don't. No startup does. And because there are no rigorous processes or procedures in place, they are able to move really, really fast. And sometimes, and here's the bad part, right? Uh, they move really, really fast, but at what cost? And the cost comes in the form of uh, engineering is focused on shipping really quickly. So they are not really concerned with code quality. They are not really concerned with cleanliness. They don't really think about architecture of scale because again, the whole point of the startup is just to survive until the next phase. And the, the investors and the market doesn't really care about how something is built. They don't see that. They just see you know, the product that they interact with, the service that they interact with. And if the service and the product on the outside is clean enough for them and it's serving them as, as it should be and they are getting a good experience out of it, then it doesn't really matter how much the developers are suffering on the back end to add features, to maintain them, so on and so forth, right? So at this point in startups, code cleanliness and good architecture, if it exists, that's good. But that's not really the point, and you're probably not going to have a lot, the luxury of time to, you know, perfect your code base at uh, in, in this environment. Um, you're going to have to do it right, a lot of dirty code. You're going to have to move as fast as you can. You're not going to have the ability to spend cycles, you know, whether thinking about something, pondering about something, designing something to the level you want it to be. So keep that in mind. The second thing is uh, that is not necessarily good is code quality is not a concern. We mentioned that on call all the time. So as you will see, and as we go up in scale-ups, enterprises, so on and so forth, the rotation of people who attend to emergencies it gets handled in a different way. There are people who are on the rotation. You have more people in the team. So your rotation can be for maybe a week, and then you will be off for a few weeks until your turn comes up again. But in startups, everyone's on call every day, every time, all day, all night, right? 
it's a very small team there's not a lot of people involved and you startups cannot really afford to hire a support team that can attend to emergencies so that's the second downside of working in a startup no time for learning and development and of course not there's no necessarily budget dedicated for this so any learning any development you have to do it on your own time that's my experience with startups i had to spend weekends late nights so on and so forth trying to pick up the knowledge you're learning as you go uh, it's very nice in startups that you get exposed to everything so basically you will be able to do pretty much whatever is necessary that's the mandate right that's what you need to keep in mind in startup you need to do whatever is necessary to survive until the next day not until you get your paycheck not until the end of the month you know you need to survive until you get the next cash injection whether it being you selling the product and making more revenue or by investors coming in and putting more money in the in the company startups obviously cannot afford a lot of luxuries and they cannot afford competitive salaries that is well known so when you work in a startup what you should think about is the equity that you're getting even though the equity might mean also absolutely nothing because the startup could close in a couple of months and then all your your equity is basically worthless right so the startup is a very long game you need to think about it as a very long marathon that you never know what you're gonna get at the end and and you never know whether you're gonna even get to the end right so startups are not made for everyone. They're made for a certain specific type of people. And you need to really think, well, what you are joining and how you are joining it. Early on in your career, startups are amazing. I personally found that the best experience I got was working in you know, smaller companies because I got exposed to so many different things that it accelerated, it ridiculously accelerated my learning. And it allowed me to have closeness with how the business works because again everyone is involved in everything so you understand the business world a little bit more a little bit better and this is something very important for us developers you the more you will be more successful if you get yourself close and try to understand the business that the company is in coding as an activity all by itself and this is going to offend a lot of people but it means absolutely nothing, right? We write code to solve problems. We write code to build products that solve problems, right? You need to be solution oriented. You need to think about solutions, not necessarily code quality, code purity. Code for the coding for the sake of coding means nothing. And first time I heard it in my career, I was a little bit shocked and and you know, I was sort of lost because in my mind was we need to write nice code we need to build beautiful things that are maintainable we need to build things that i'm not going to worry about down the line we need to build things that we're proud of right but again that's not necessarily the purpose of the business especially in startups right i'm gonna come back to this point but let's first talk about scale-ups and what is the difference because we talked a lot about startups Let's talk about scale-ups and what happens then. So startups comes, startups, let's say a startup comes to a point where they have demonstrated that their product is good, their service is well, and now they are ready for the next stage. They approach certain venture capitalist funds uh, and VC funds have money that they want to invest. And they say, they evaluate the startup and they think that the business proposition is really good. So now they have 
they want to invest in this and they say okay we're going to give you one two three million dollars let's say for you to survive for the next year and we expect a return on this investment of 10x and what 10x means is you know the million dollar that you gave it's going to be 10 million in five six seven or eight years down the line right um, this is a huge amount of money, but it also comes with huge expectations from this startup. And imagine the founder plus the three, four, five engineers that are working with them. You know, now they have this huge responsibility to get their company to a point where they can make that 10x investment. Because again, venture capitalist money is not just money that you can spend uh, aimlessly. And usually you don't get this one or two or three or five million dollars straight away in your bank account and then you can start spending it. No, you get it per milestone. And you define these milestones with your investors where basically they say, for example, if you are building a, a software as a service, you say once you reach 100,000 users, we will give you the first million. Once you reach 150, we'll give you the second million. Once you reach 500,000 users, let's say, we will give you the rest of the money. So again, there are different schemes, different ways of uh, doing investments. And uh, this is basically what a scale-up is. It's a company that has received some form of investment or it is in a stage where it's making a lot of revenue and now the, it needs to add more people so that it can grow the product. Before we move on, I want to... Uh, Check out the comments. I see a couple of things from Hassan. I really love uh, seeing uh, seeing you in the chat. Thank you for uh, participating in this and for attending. You say potentially great engineers might suffer a lot in a startup if they're not mentally ready to work in a possibly chaotic environment with a lack of mentorship. That is fully true, 100%. Startups, again, are not for everyone. You need to be in the proper mindset whenever you join it you need to be aware that startups don't have anything they are working on breadcrumbs and they are again worried about survival keep that in mind survival is the key term over here what is a, a criteria that you that should tell if an engineer is ready to deliver and thrive in such situations oh interesting question so in my opinion engineers that thrive in these environments or in a startup environment are those who uh, can adapt very quickly right so having the ability to adapt engineers who have a very fixed mindset that things should happen in a certain way and there should be structure and order and things follow a certain linear path from start to end these people will not really have a good time in startups and you're not going to really enjoy your time there and you're going to have a lot of struggles because you're going to be competing with what you think is the priority versus what the company's priority is actually like and again the founders are concerned about survival and they are concerned about making sure they get across the next milestone or next checkpoint you cannot be concerned about what you think is important and if it's if it's not really relevant to jumping to the next stage so you have to have a growth mindset you have to have a adaptive uh, skill set you have to be prepared mentally that you're going to be embarking on a journey that you don't know where it's going where it's going where it's heading so think of yourself as in a ship you have no navigation or you have navigation but you don't don't really know if this navigation will get you across the finish line if you are comfortable in these environments then by all means startups are good for you however also Startups are very good for people who want to learn a lot in a very short period of time. So if you are freshly graduating, you know nothing about anything, join a startup. You will be hammered with a lot of awesome things you're going to learn. 
you're gonna work in chaos you're gonna work in all sorts of uh you know soul crushing uh, uh it, well it depends of course on the startup but you're gonna work under a lot of pressure and if you're able to handle this you can pretty much handle anything that will come down the line for you especially if you start joining scale-ups or enterprises that have a lot of a better financial cushion Great questions, Hassan. Thank you very much for those. Uh, let's jump back to scale-ups. We were talking about scale-ups that they are another version of startups, but now they have money, so they are able to grow their teams. The first thing you're going to notice is uh, that the team is expanding very, very quickly, which means you're not going to know everyone by name anymore. Or maybe you would, but you know, there's going to be a lot of new faces and there's going to be a lot of unfamiliar people around you and they're all not gonna they're all gonna come in with their own perspectives they're all gonna come in with their own thoughts about how things should be done they're all gonna come in and they have their own expectations of what they're gonna see they're all gonna come in and probably look at the existing code base and start complaining that it's not good that it's not clean that it's not properly designed that it's not architected well right and you have to be okay with that because that's the next step of the evolution of a certain company and that's not necessarily all bad so being in a scale-up um, you will experience a uh, fast uh, product evolution and you will be part of something big that has the potential to you know to become really gigantic scale-ups generally are have crossed the first you know very critical stage where they have demonstrated that they have something good they have money now they have to demonstrate that this something good can actually scale uh, for a wider market, for a broader audience, and that can, that can and that the product can actually be sustainable for and the company is sustainable. So this is what a scale up needs to demonstrate. Uh, scale ups need to survive, of course, but the survival period is not necessarily in weeks or months. It could be in quarters. It could be in years. So the money that they have could you know sustain them, and this is where we talk about the runway. Uh, the money that they have could sustain them for a longer period of time than a startup so the worry about how can we cross the next milestone is a little bit less but still it exists and the pressure is real um, another good thing about working in a scale-up is the opportunity to determine how the structure is going to be like right especially if you're one of the founders or if you're one of the early employees and by founders i don't mean the first couple of people who start a company i'm talking about the founding team the the early joiners employee number zero one sorry employee number one two and three along with the founders so these people because of their seniority because they were there from day one they know everything about everything they know how everything works so you if you are one of these people you will have the ability to determine the new structure of the company you will have the ability to determine how the new people coming in will be working you will have the ability to put structures in place to put hierarchies so on and so forth of course if you have the skill set to do so and if you have you know the horizon and if you broaden your horizon to do so it's very important also as an engineer for you to be aware that by the not just by the fact that you are one of the early employees that makes you the most senior there are people who are more senior than you in the market and you have to accept the fact that you will have a manager maybe you will have more senior engineers who know much more than you join the company and you should be okay with that you should accept the fact that they you will learn from them even if you know the 
code base more than they do even if you have built the code base yourself they can come in with a lot of awesome ideas and you should benefit from these you should be helping the founders and the other groups in the company hire the best talent even if that means your power and your influence is going to be diminished because you're not the center you're not the focus of the company okay no matter how much we would like to believe that uh, and no matter how much we are pampered nowadays as engineers in this market because everyone wants us to work with them right we are a sort of a means to an end at the end of the day we have a purpose to fulfill we have a company and a business to make to make a success we contribute heavily to this success but you also need to understand that you are not the the center of attention of everything that's going on around you, right? Uh, so in a scale-up, uh, people will join uh, engineering and now will require more rigor and it will require more standards. Uh, whatever shit you have built during the startup phase now needs to be cleaned up. And I see a very awesome question from Naram. And thank you, Naram, for joining this one. Uh, I also love uh, seeing you in the chat. You say, at what stage does a rewrite of the project become a must? Oh, we're entering into very uh, dangerous territory now. Rewrites are nothing... Uh, let's put it this way. Nobody wants to do a rewrite, except the engineers working on a project. Um, a rewrite is very dangerous. And this is a very good question because I've been involved in rewrites before, where I thought a rewrite was a good thing. Let's put it this way. Uh, if you are, uh, and this is something one of my mentors and early uh, managers, not managers, he was the CEO of a company, told me this. Uh, and we had a very close relationship. I learned a lot from him. Um, if you are on a plane and that plane is flying in the sky and it's crumbling, it's, you know, it's failure after failure, you have a lot of issues with it. You cannot shut down the plane midair and fix it. You know, you just have to fix it as you go. There is no one on this planet that's going to recommend a rewrite because rewrites are very expensive. And there are zero guarantees that a rewrite will actually solve all your problems. There is no, I have not been ever part of a massive rewrite that went according to plan, that went according to budget, and that hit the milestones and then it delivered on the promise. Never. Uh, no matter how much we would like to think that this is the case, no matter how much we would like to think that uh, we know all the pitfalls of the current system, which means that we will know how to rewrite the system in a better way, especially if it's a massive project and we're talking about you know a very big code base, rewrites are never the solution. You can definitely rewrite parts of a project you can definitely start structuring your code base in terms of services, whereby you take an entire chunk of the code base, put it in a service, and then integrate that service in a deep way and, and move on with your life. And then you replicate this across the board until the, you know, the main monolith is broken down. Uh, that's possible. That has a higher chance of success. And that has immediate returns that can be actually quantified and evaluated. That's how normally scale-ups that succeed on the long term deal with the uh, technical debt and with the legacy that comes uh, with the mess that was created during the startup phase. Okay, so it's very important that to understand rewrites never pay off. 
you need to start structuring and thinking about your code base as services, take them out bit by bit until the whole thing is broken down and you know now it's running its own, its own dependent independent service. Um, but also the taking a service oriented architecture is not necessarily the, the solution to everything, right? It's not the panacea, it's not the end all be all fix, but it can allow you to get to the next level and it can allow you to keep on growing and maintaining the code base without everyone, you know, committing suicide uh, by working on, the, on that uh, crappy code. So let's continue with the good because I have a few items that are not necessarily good about working in a scale up. Um, we said that engineering now requires more rigor and start, standards start, start to form. Of course, things like code reviews, things like linting, style checks, building some automation, maybe some integration pipelines are necessary because now you have multiple teams potentially working on the same project. You have maybe teams that are not really communicating directly with each other, working on different aspects of the product. What was built with two, three, four, five, ten people now is being built by a hundred. And of course, a hundred is one order of magnitude than what it was before. There's gonna be complexity that is added. I don't know the relationship between the number of people and the complexity that gets added, but it's probably a lot. Uh, and it's probably a multiplier, not necessarily, you know, a, a, an addition in terms of complexity. So or, or linear growth in terms of complexity. Probably if you add one uh, person to the to the project, the complexity is multiplied by two as opposed to, you know, you add just, you know, one level of complexity higher. Anyway, without going too much into that, you just need to understand that more people added to the project means more complexity, more overhead, because these people need to coordinate now. And that coordination takes time and effort, and, and you know what comes with that. So um, highest probability to build fast integration and deployment and delivery pipelines. A good scale-up focuses a lot on automation because automation allows everyone to move fast. If a scale-up focuses on building proper automation, which means building good unit tests, even if the coverage of the unit tests is not that high, having some unit tests, some integration test that is done and ran in an automated manner is necessary for that scale up to succeed on the long run and for it to be able to scale to the next level. Having some form of automatic deployment and delivery, uh, no one can sit down every week for half a day or an entire day just preparing a the next release. That's not acceptable. You cannot integrate at the end of a couple of sprints. That's not acceptable in a scale-up. You will never get anywhere with this. You need to put in automation in place. You need to have automation pipelines that run with every pull request that you create, maybe even on a daily basis or whatever your cycle is, not at the end of a sprint, not the, at the end of a week, not at the end of a quarter. If a scale-up does this, I am pretty sure and I will guarantee you that this scale-up will not survive. Uh, for the next phase. So invest early in automation, invest fast in automation. That doesn't mean that we spend half a year automating what we have. No, automation needs to come hand in hand with new additions to the code. A small group of people needs to focus on building the platform that allows everyone else you know, to put their stuff on top of and move forward. It doesn't have to be perfect, it never is, but you need to start investing the time in building this. So this is the this is the good part. Um, 
The bad parts, of course, with more people added, this could even give rise to a more chaotic culture if things are not really put in place properly, if there is no strong leadership that can carry this entire group of people you know towards the next milestone if the uh management of these teams is not clear on the direction or on the vision and this is where i want to talk about something very important which is how what's the leadership's role in all of this in a scale up very often what happens is that the people who are early in a startup they get promoted to a management role they have no clue how to do management they think that being good managers is micromanaging everyone that they bring into the team. And then everything starts falling apart because the, man the newly appointed managers are over overworked because they think they need to be involved in every single thing in every single area. The new recruits are not really happy because their managers are not giving them the space to be able to think for themselves and to explore and to grow the product and to have an influence. And this is where it's very something that I always recommend to the companies I advise. Think very well where you position your founding employees, founding engineers. Think whether you want to make them managers before providing them with training. If they are not equipped to be good managers, they should not be managers, period. Get other managers who are more experienced to handle this. Your founding employees, you can find other ways to reward them, right? And at the end of the day, they should understand it's all about clarity. They should understand where the trajectory, where we're going with the startup, where we're going with the scale up, the eventual return on investment that might come for everyone. You know, but if they are not okay with the direction and if they are creating more turbulence than solving problems, then it's also an option for them to leave or to let them go. It's hard, it's difficult, no one wants to hear this. But I say it one more time: the company does not revolve around us developers only the company is a business that needs to survive it needs to move on if you keep in your mind as an engineer that this is a business and if you treat it like a business and you whatever you do on the engineering side you keep a business focus in mind not a lot of people want to hear this but this is the truth you will be way more successful okay so keep that in mind this is my tip for you uh this is everything I want to talk about a scale up. If you have any questions, please drop them in the chat. I love the questions that are coming in so far, and I would definitely love to share more insights about these. Now we're going to talk about enterprises. And this is the ultimate form. And people think that enterprises have everything figured out and they know how to do things. And I will tell you, no, they don't. <laughs> and it's funny and sad at the same time because, I mean, we think that a startup, people are trying to figure things out, a scale up, a little bit more structured, more people are being added. It might go both ways. It might go into a more structured form and deliver faster, quicker, so on and so forth. Like some of the biggest companies in the world, Netflix, you know, um, uh, uh, let's say GitHub was one of them. Uh, I, I, for some reason, companies are not coming to my mind right now. But anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. It can go in that direction. And these companies don't even have everything figured out, but they have something really good working for them, and it's allowing them to move fast. And on the other hand, you will have the scale-ups that never see the light of day, and you probably never heard of them, and there are so many. And that's for a reason, because they were not able to figure a path forward uh, out of the chaos. 
enterprises are the companies that have come to a stage where everything is sort of stable. They don't have to worry uh, about survival on a quarterly or a weekly or monthly or even on a yearly basis. They have enough money coming in from the market, a sufficient amount of revenue. They most likely don't take investments anymore, you know, direct investments. They are probably at the stage where maybe they have IPO'd already, they went public, or they have been acquired by an even bigger company. So for example, Microsoft is an empire, right? It, it, is, a, it is a conglomerate of so many different companies uh, that operate even differently sometimes. And this is a very well-known fact. You have a ton of companies like this. Enterprises operate in a different way. They have more stability. There's more structure. Hierarchy layers are very, very, very deep. If you join an enterprise as an engineer, you might have, I don't know, 10, 12 levels between yourself and maybe the CEO of the company, right? Sometimes even higher. In, in, in empires like Microsoft, sky's the limit for how many levels there are right so think about this when you want to join an enterprise and let's talk a little bit about the good stuff so the good stuff is as i mentioned money is not an issue compensation obviously sometimes it's uh, it's better but compensation is governed by policies procedures and budgets which means that in a scale up if you are really a good engineer and the founders really want you most likely than not they're going to be able to give you whatever you want Sometimes even the manager might be able to, you know, make exceptions here and there, give you the compensation that you think you deserve and for them to have you because they think you're going to add a lot of value for their company. In enterprises, that's not the case. No matter how much a manager would want you, they cannot, you know, make any changes to the compensation ranges that are provided to them. And this is what happens in enterprises. Everything is sort of very well defined. And changing these very well-defined things takes a lot more time. It takes a lot of effort and work. And uh, people are, you know, the HR is very heavily involved in all of this. And uh, things do not really move uh, as fast as a scale-up or a startup. Deep hierarchies and battle-tested structures, we talked about them. There are a lot of procedures, policies, a lot of automation is already in place. Many questions have been figured out already, and now it's just a simple matter of two things. The business is focusing on, one, doing more of the same, so sustaining the engine that is already running, that is bringing in more money. And the second thing is focus on how to kill competition. This is what enterprises are all about. Not about survival in the sense that they need to find a way to, you know, bring in investment or make money for the next, apologies, for the next year. Their entire focus is how do we stay in the market now? How do we avoid the innovator's dilemma? How do we avoid being disrupted by smaller startups and smaller scale-ups, right? How do we kill the competition? How do we even buy the competition? This is how enterprises survive. If they see someone that is competing with them, they are doing well and they are strategically worried that this they, they might the scale up might grow to a point where it might threaten their existence they will go and buy if they think that scale up has an engineering team that is performing really really well and they are at a great level and they want to bring in that culture internally they will go and buy it so uh, scale ups have also a vested interest in selling because vcs will definitely put pressure on the founders saying okay you have a great offer coming in from whatever enterprise you name it and if you're not really heading towards a, a going public or doing an ipo 
let that company buy you. We want our money back, All right? So point B, uh, extensive onboarding processes. We did not talk about onboarding, but in scale-ups and startups, onboarding pretty much does not exist. In a startup, you will just come in, sit, on, sit somewhere, and you're just crunching code from day one. Some people will show you around, show you where the coffee machine is, if there is a coffee machine. In a scale-up, you will have a little bit more structure where some people will walk you through the code base. You might even have an onboarding buddy someone who can show you around and take care of you during the early stages uh, in enterprises the onboarding process is very well structured there are different phases the onboarding might take weeks even months sometimes even quarters for you to ramp up fully depending on the complexity of what you are dealing with but let's just say that onboarding is sort of figured out now the bad the bad in enterprises is that everything is excruciatingly slow you want to take out this chunk of code and move it somewhere else, you need the approval of three architects that are gonna debate it to death, that are gonna create uh, you know, um, architecture design records or design documents that might or might not even be relevant <laughs> to, the, to the application that you are building or to the code base. You will have different layers of management, different people who want to voice out their opinion, different people who want to approve or find the need to approve. You will be dealing with people who don't have a very well-defined role, and then they start roaming around trying to position themselves in a place where they can contribute or add value. So this makes everything super slow. You have deep hierarchies. Uh, you will have over-engineering and over-architecture for pretty much everything. Uh, sometimes you don't really need that much to build something and it can be done in a very simple way and it can serve a lot of people. But then when you start involving different senior people, staff engineers, software architects, platform architects, enterprise architects, and all of these people want to, you know, contribute in a way or another or add their signature to something, you're going to have something that is definitely over-engineered and something that is definitely over-architected for absolutely no reason. <laughs> and uh, again, it's not always like this, but that's, how, that's the modus operandi of uh, enterprises. Um, the software development lifecycle might not necessarily be good. It could be excruciatingly slow as well, because once we talk about approvals, and depending on the industry you operate in, uh, approvals will, will, will slow everything down. You cannot really release multiple times a day anymore. That's even if you were doing that and to start with, you might not even be at that stage. Um, there will be gates on all of the, you know, or the, all your pipelines. Uh, the code review process might take a lot more time. Uh, so on and so forth. And the worst part of it all is you might have to deal with a lot of legacy systems and legacy, like legacy applications that you have to integrate. And a lot of work does not become creating new things. It becomes more of integrating with other systems and increasing the size of the spaghetti that uh, you already have in place. Pretty much no one will know everything about everything anymore. You cannot find a single person in the company that has a clear picture of where everything is. You're going to have a lot of outdated documentation. You're going to have a lot of information spread around. And as I mentioned, everything will be slower. These are some of the bad parts of how enterprises operate. Um, in these types of environments, software engineering still happens. But you will be lucky if you work in a team 
that is solving a new challenge. Uh, lateral movement or moving in between teams might not necessarily be something that is feasible all the time because of budgets, management, approvals. And if, when everything starts taking more time than it should, then people start being worried. Enterprises are very risk averse. They want to avoid creating turbulence. So they want to avoid novelty. They want to just keep on repeating, you know, whatever works. Uh, and they don't really care about being innovative. Now, of course, I'm overgeneralizing. I don't want to say that all the enterprises are this way, but more likely than not, this is how it is. All right, I've been talking a lot. Feel free to drop in any questions, comments, any thoughts that you might have. I just wanted to share with you these, uh, these perspectives and I hope you are finding them useful. I would love to hear more about how the, the problems or challenges that you are facing yourself, wherever you are, right? And I wanna talk about in the last part of this video about which is the best place for you at different stages of your career, right? I personally have gone through the journey of beginning in a sort of a mid-sized company. It wasn't a scale-up, but it was a sort of a bigger startup. Let's put it that way. And the bigger startups exist because not every company is going to become a unicorn. Not every company is going to be worth a billion dollars. Some companies are just there. They exist. They do business. They bring in a stable revenue. They're not really concerned about uh, massive growth. Um, uh, they're not really concerned about massive growth. They just want to, you know, do business as usual and move forward. And this is where I started my career. It was it was a really good experience. Uh, it was a startup vibe. We were involved in pretty much everything. You know everyone in the company. You have a lot of influence. You can navigate the scene. Of course, I used to complain a lot about cleanliness. I used to complain about, about the code base not being good. But I also, this is where I learned a lot of business lessons that are very important. One example of those is, one time we had a good idea for a very good startup inside the you know the company that that we were in and we were thinking about building that product and maybe spinning it off for it to become its own company later on uh, i was one of the people who was working on this project and we spent a lot of time designing the code base architecting how it should be thinking about scale and and the process and how the buttons should be click how they should look like and how what type of framework should we use and what type that product never saw the light of day <laughs> because we over engineered it to a point where by the time it came for us to make tweaks and modifications so on and so forth it was excruciatingly painful to do so and we failed to demonstrate value uh, very early on and that's very a very important lesson for everyone and for you if you are in a startup, please do not over-engineer your solutions. You need to be able to make and introduce changes every day to the code base. A simple color change of a certain button might drive your sales up or it might crash you and you will never see the light of day. You'll never be able to survive the next day. This is where I started my career. Then I moved on to management consulting where I started working in sort of a very large environment and started advising companies in extremely large environments and heavy operations. This is where everything became excruciatingly painful in terms of processes, procedures, but we were able to do good work in the sense that uh, we started focusing on the problems that are within our control and the problems that you can actually solve. 
and we started adding value over there and keeping the business in mind and when we started doing that we we, we were able to be successful I see a question from Jafar, uh, Jafar on Facebook. Uh, you feel these apply for cloud engineering and DevOps paths as well? Yes, for sure. Because at the end of the day, if you are in a platform team and uh, you know whether you are in a startup, there will not be a platform team. <laughs> Everyone will be doing everything. If you are in a scale-up, that's pretty much the same. You will not have a platform team. You most likely will have a DevOps engineer part of your you know, smaller team. You might not even have a DevOps engineer. You as a developer might be responsible for building your own you know, pipelines and uh, be responsible for the deployment of your own uh, platform or product. And that's personally what I feel should be the case. We can talk about DevOps for a really long time. In enterprises, you will have these platform teams. You will have the SREs. You will have the DevOps teams. You will have so many different types of people. And yes, these pain points and the good stuff apply for whether you are a software engineer or a DevOps uh, engineer or whatever. And I personally really hate calling anyone a DevOps engineer. Please, this is going to offend a lot of people, but I don't care. There's no such thing as a DevOps engineer. And if you understand what DevOps is, you would think that this is a very stupid thing. Because DevOps is basically the, just making sure that we combine the development software development process with the operational process and that the team that builds something and they release something they are responsible for operating that something in production and by operating i mean once it is released people will start using it they will discover issues issues need to be solved someone needs to monitor it someone needs to maintain it so on and so forth if you separate the team that manages the operation of a product in production and the team that builds the product, you will have a very slow cycle. You will have very slow everything. And this will not give a good user experience for everyone involved. Solving problems will take much more time. Responsibility will be thrown around. And this creates the need for having people like architects. Architects who can come in and say, and look at both teams and say, okay, this team did wrong, this team needs to fix this, this team needs to do this, this team needs to do that, because if both teams are concerned about what they are worrying about on a day-to-day -day basis, things are, um, are, are not going to work well. And uh, yeah, I'm happy that you agree, and I, I agree with Google's DevOps courses. DevOps is not a job, that's 100% true. Unfortunately, we still call it, uh, we call the people DevOps engineers and DevOps tools and DevOps whatever. Um, anyway, I don't know when this trend is going to fade away. I hope it does, but I think momentum is so so big that it's probably not going to change. So what we've done is we just stopped calling people systems, uh, uh, system, ma system managers or system administrators or whatever. We just slapped on them the title of DevOps engineer and we told them to continue doing whatever you're doing while keeping the silos in place. Anyway, I'm not going to rant about DevOps. Uh, I'm just going to say that these problems will definitely persist across the three categories of uh, companies. However, you're not going to hear a lot about DevOps in startups and also not, not so much in scale-ups because this is what engineers do. <laughs> they build code and they publish it themselves. Uh, so they already do DevOps, right, on a smaller scale. Bottom line, I was talking about where was I in my career. Um, after doing management consulting and working with big enterprises, I also worked in uh, in consulting one more time. But you know, being as an architect, as a software architect, 
and uh, I was overseeing a large microservice implementation and we did a lot of work on APIs and versioning APIs for a massive scale and that for, for FinTech and that was pretty good, a pretty good experience. Whatever I mentioned right now in the episode today is coming from these experiences and in these environments, built a lot of knowledge in working, in working with microservices and again, this is where I, I, I come back to the idea of rewriting a project is never a good idea. It never is. And another very bad idea, using microservices from day one and starting with microservices, and especially if you have a small team, is not a good idea, especially if you don't understand what microservices are. And, and microservices is an architecture that you need to grow into. It's not an architecture that you start with. Okay? So... Let this be a, a rule of thumb for you that a microservice is something you need to evolve into and not something that you start from day one. Of course, you might say uh, if you have a team and all of this team has done previous microservice implementations in the past and they can come in with the templates with everything that needs to be put in place and they have the budget and resources and time and the mandate to, do, to build such an environment very quickly and rapidly, that might, that might be okay. But finding such a team, all of the people involved having that experience is going to be close to impossible. And if they do, they're probably working in some of the best companies across the world and, and having high compensation is going to be very difficult for them to jump on whatever you have to offer. Now, again, let's go back to career. I recommend uh, that you work in the three environments throughout your career. This might sound obvious, but you need to get the experience of working in a startup, you need to get the experience of working in a scale-up, and you need to get the experience of working in enterprise. No matter how many videos I make about this, no matter how much you watch people talking about this, it's never going to be the same as you experiencing it, experiencing it yourself. And there's joy and fun in all of, all of these different categories, right? What matters is that you don't get stuck in one of them. Because if you get stuck in one of them, you will be there and you will be miserable and you will not know what's on the other end. And you will always be contemplating the other end as if the grass is greener on the other side. From my experience in the industry and from me advising a ton of companies worldwide, the grass is never greener. It's just a different, types of, different set and different type of problems that you will start facing. The problems that you might be facing today in a startup might be solved in an enterprise, but an enterprise has different types of problems that you need to, you know, address. So you will never get to a point in your career, and I, until today I have never gotten to that point, where you will come to a place and you say, oh, wow, everything is perfect. If everything is perfect, that means the business is not evolving. If everything is perfect, then pack your bags, go home. You have no purpose of existing as an engineer, right? So you'll never get to a point like that. Uh, never ever will you be uh, touching a code base where making changes will be easy. By definition, making changes adds complexity, period. And it adds uncertainty. So you will never just get this idea out of your head and accept the fact that in this field, you will never work in an environment that has everything figured out, okay? Uh, so, again, early on in your career, I would say if you are a very junior developer, you have no experience whatsoever, 
you don't have expectations about a certain level of compensation, join a startup. They will give you probably the bare minimum uh, for them to be able to attract talent. You will get a starting salary. They will expect the world from you. They will expect a lot of work from you. They will probably overwork you. Uh, they will probably make you work very long hours. You will probably have a, a very intense experience. But this is where you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn about everything in startups. You're going to amass knowledge that is going to serve you very well throughout your uh, entire career. Once you are done with uh, startups, you can definitely uh, start going towards uh, bigger companies. And you can either jump to enterprises at this point, or you can jump to scale-ups. My recommendation in this case is join an enterprise because uh, enterprises have a lot of procedures, have a lot of things figured out. You will be working with much more senior people who you can learn from. Uh, you will get a certain level of focus. Uh, you will probably get a little bit of relief, but do not get into the comfort zone and do not spend your career at enterprises. Please don't do that. I see people spending 10, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18 years. And so, again, I have nothing against these people. If you love it, if you enjoy it, all the best for you if this is what you want in life. But if you are ambitious and you want to grow fast, spending more than two years in one place, and a lot of companies are going to hate me for this, but this is the truth. Spending more than a couple of years in, in the same place is a, you start having diminished returns. You will, your compensation will drop. You will not be competitive in the market anymore. You will, you will be dealing with the same repetitive problems and you will not have different types of exposures. So again, learn from the enterprise. Once you learn from the enterprise, how, how things can be stabilized and what a proper structure or what a structure can look like, this is the time to either come back to scale-ups or come back to startups. I would come back to scale-ups. Why? Because the scale-ups are at the point where maybe there is a probability for them to exit successfully. And if they do, and you have stock options or you have equity in these scale-ups, you will be able to make a good return on investment and you will probably make a good amount of money. I'm not going to say that you're going to retire from this money, but it would be a nice cushion that gives you a little bit of a financial you know, uh, freedom if this scale-up actually gets bought by another enterprise and you have equity that would be nice if you have stock options that also would be nice because then they will be converted to that enterprise's you know stocks and you will make a nice uh nice income from this uh, and you will be able to also keep on learning and keep on evolving of course that doesn't mean that you're just gonna spend the rest of your life in scale-ups no you're most likely gonna be bouncing back and forth in between them uh and maybe even at some point you will be involved in building your own startup and i see a lot of people uh some of my students as well from se factory are starting their own ventures and starting their own initiatives and i would love for nothing more than for all of you to be successful I see a question from Hussain. If someone has already started his career by working in an enterprise and still is, what could be the benefits of moving to a startup? Very nice question, Hussain. And I will tell you, working in an enterprise is very nice. But again, it gives you the illusion that this is how the whole world works. And it doesn't really put you on edge. And it doesn't really allow you to grow uh, as fast as you would in a startup or a scale-up. If you are comfortable in enterprise environments and you don't want a lot of chaos in your life because, you, for example, you are married, you have children, you have many more responsibilities, and you're not necessarily in your 20s anymore, let's just say, let's put it that way, 
Um, joining a startup is very, very, uh, it's going to change your life drastically. I would say maybe try a scale up that is bigger than a startup where there's still a little bit more structure, but the upside will be much higher. So what you will get from joining a scale up in that case is one exposure to different technologies. You might be able to utilize and leverage your expertise in enterprises to help the scale up move faster, become better structured, so on and so forth, which means you might be able to get and negotiate a better compensation for yourself. And of course, there's the upside of equity. If equity is, if that scale up is in a stage where they are close to an exit, for example, or maybe even a few years behind an exit, that equity can, can be substantial amount of money. We're not talking about, you know, equity where you can trade it off for like five, ten thousand dollars when you exit. We're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands if if that uh, if you get a decent amount of equity and the scale up is actually quite successful. So these would be the upsides. The financial aspect would be one, and the uh, the evolution in terms of yourself, right? The ability to grow as a person and technically as well, and be more involved in the business on a, on a on a on a closer level. If these are not areas of interest to you, then by all means, don't think about changing at all. There's there's really nothing else to this. It's all about what you want to do, how you want to spend your time, what excites you and what motivates you and what wakes you up in the morning, right? I personally always like a challenge. And if I feel myself that I am stagnating and that I'm not able to keep myself active, I'm not able to you know, keep growing and keep learning new things, I would just, I would not be happy. And I'm not saying everyone is like that, this is just me. Maybe a lot of people are like this. Maybe they aren't. Uh, but I'm just saying, if you are curious, if you want to grow, startups, scale-ups are really, really good environments to do so. Thank you, Joe, for joining. And uh, yeah, I know you have a lot of experience in this domain and you, that you agree with uh, rewriting projects is not necessarily a good uh, path forward. All right. We've been talking for almost an hour now. I would love to take on more of your questions. If you have them, please uh, do drop them now. Uh, I would love to share with you some insights. Maybe there is something that I have not covered. Uh, please do call me out on it. I would love to for these sessions to be as useful for you and as dense in information as possible. I think we have covered the definition of what these companies are. We have covered the good and the bad of working in these environments. And lastly, we talked about what is a good place for you to join and different stages of your career. I'm not sure I have much more to share on this front. Uh, I, am, I have a lot of plans for future live sessions. I have a lot of great ideas that some of them are coming from you and thank you very much for those. Uh, I think next uh, Tuesday, Sorry, not next Tuesday. I haven't set a date for it yet, but I will be covering um, one proposal from, uh, I think this is coming from um, from Mustafa uh, down the line. I will be co covering topics every software engineer should know. I will potentially be covering remote work with a guest, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, remote work in the age of pandemics and beyond. We're going to talk about what... Uh, what is better, being a generalist or being a specialist? And when should you specialize? And what should you specialize in? And whether you should remain a generalist software engineer? What is better for you over the long run? What is better better for the short uh, for short term? Maybe I can talk about preparing for interviews and how you can be a better interviewer and how you can be a better interviewee. 
We're going to talk about the different types of interviews uh, that can happen in our domain. Uh, a very nice topic that was brought up by Marwa is the imposter syndrome, what every software engineer should know. I'm definitely going to talk about the imposter syndrome because I'm going to drop the bomb right now. You will never get over it. <laughs> Wherever you join, whatever you do in your life, you will always, uh, you know, feel like you you probably don't belong in the early beginnings until you really prove yourself. But it would be a nice uh, session to talk about. So these are some of the upcoming topics. I have a few videos that I'm working on also to finish the GitHub Actions course. If you are interested in DevOps, CI/CD pipelines, and you use GitHub and using um, you know uh, GitHub Actions, I have a very nice course on my channel. Make sure to check that out i have uh, streamed live uh, two sessions before and i talked about toxic working environments and i have talked about uh what it means and how far you can go as self-taught software developer i'm gonna stop plugging in my content and i want to wish you all a very pleasant weekend and a uh, wonderful week and i hope you get the best out of the jobs that you are in right now and if not Always remember that the field and the market is so hot right now. Any company would love to have you. So please keep on building your skills. Keep on building your talents. Never give up. A lot of companies would love and would kill to work with you. Uh, keep your options open and keep growing. And I will see you next time.